Welcome to the Earning the Push podcast. I'm Jack Murley. And this week, myself and co-host Charlie Beckett are breaking down another stacked AEW pay-per-view card as the company takes over Las Vegas for double or nothing this weekend. We're looking at how RK-Bro and the Usos over-delivered on SmackDown, why now is the right time for Riddle to shine as a solo performer, and praising the security guard who took an insane cage bump on Dynamite on Wednesday. Plus T... Big E, gimmick changes and more coming up right now on Earning the Push. You can't miss a match, can you really? You've got to see it all. I know that next week I'll come on and I'll say it was brilliant, but it was a bit long. But we've just got to kind of accept that's what that's what AEW is going to be now. The, the pay-per-views are going to be a little bit longer than we thought they, they should be. And maybe for us UK fans, two sittings is the way to do it. Watch a few hours live, go to bed, get up and watch again. Maybe that's the way to do it. But there's going to be some brilliant wrestling in there. It is extraordinary that we sat after the last one, which I think was full gear, perhaps. I may be wrong. It was either full gear or revolution, whatever it was. And we're going, oh, Tony, that was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. It must have been, I think, a revolution because Regal debuted. But don't do not do it that long again. And he's just he just keeps throwing stuff at this card. It is absolutely... I mean, I'm going to give the official card rundown here just to give people an idea of what is going on. Uh, so on the pre-show, Hookhausen against Tony Nese and Mark Sterling. Jade Cargill uh, against Anna Jay for the TBS Championship. Samoa Joe versus Adam Cole in the men's Owen. Britt Baker against Ro- Ruby Soho or Chris Statlander at time of recording. We don't know who in the women's Owen. Uh, Thunder Rosa versus Serena Deeb. We've got the triple threat tag match. Uh, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy against Team Taz against Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. Deep breath, because we're still not there yet. Jericho Appreciation Society versus Kingston Santana Ortiz and the BCC. House of Black against Death Triangle. The Hardys against the Young Bucks. MJF versus Wardlow. Hangman Adam Page versus CM Punk. I mean, if you're still listening at the end of that, that is 11 matches on that that card, including the pre-show. It's a lot, isn't it? It is a lot. I'm And, and we are... Classic wrestling fans of we've got eleven brilliant matches there, and we're going. Oh, it's a bit much. But you go through that. I think you could. It's brutal, isn't it? Because you want everyone to get on the card, you want everyone to get their payday, you want everyone to get their moment in the in the sun. But you could get three or four of those could headline dynamites and rampages, couldn't they? Like, and I just think that would make it a more enjoyable watching one sitting. Let's break it down into the matches I think most folks are most excited about. And let's start at the top of the card, the surefire main event, CM Punk versus Hangman Adam Page. Punk, the challenger, his first world title shot in AEW, his first world title shot in more than seven years. Hangman Adam Page, the defending champion, won the title against Kenny Omega, has successfully beat Brian Danielson, Lance Archer, and others, including Adam Cole, baby. Uh... What's going on here? Is it time for Punk to take the title off Page? I think it is, although Adam Page got the better of him in the promos last night, I thought. I thought Page had the better promo showing last night, which is a big, big thing to say when you're going against CM Punk. But I think it is. I think Page, Page has been brilliant in his role. We've had this conversation before. I'm not sure they have positioned him the best way throughout his title run to make him feel like the biggest deal. At times, the world title scene has very much been playing second fiddle to a lot of other storytelling on AEW, and I think that has hurt not Paige per se, but Paige's title run. And I think 
it almost just blends the background a bit when you compare it to other stories like MGF Wardlow, the Owen Cup. Those things are probably the things I'm more excited about for the weekend. So I think it probably for the good of everyone involved, for Paige, for Punk and for the title, I think it probably does need to move across to Punk this weekend. What I think is a shame is this version of Hangman Adam Page I think is fantastic. And I wish we'd seen it a couple of months ago. And I really do get, because I know AEW fans, and I am one of them, are really big on long-term storytelling. And the story was he lacked confidence. He wasn't just going to become this guy overnight. But give me this guy for, for sort of 10 weeks, this confidence, this swagger. I mean, you could just tell the way he walked to the ring last night to square off with CM Punk on Dynamite for that face-off. You know, the guy is feeling his oats. He's, he's, he's really... He looks like a champ. He feels like a champ, ironically, at the time that probably he's going to lose that belt. Yeah, it does seem like he's just hitting his stride and hitting his straps, as I think that the safe money is for Punk to take the title. I think from a business point of view, it makes sense, doesn't it? You, you, you're paying CM Punk a lot of money. He's one of the biggest names in wrestling of the last 20 years. Get your title on him. Get, get more eyes on your product. Where do you go with... Punk, if he does beat Page, is it is it straight into a rematch on a big dynamite, or do you heat someone else up? I mean, let's not forget Miro is waiting out in the ether somewhere. I mean, he'd be a great first opponent for Punk, assuming he gets a belt. Yeah, I, I think I think a rematch would make sense. I could see that. It depends what storyline you tell with um, with the match, how it goes. But I could definitely definitely see a rematch making sense. Uh, there are a load of potential. Uh, great matches for a punk title, isn't there? There's just uh, so many, like you say, we haven't even thought of Miro. There are so many brilliant um, suitors out there for the title. I'd love to see Punk Joe. That's that's probably top of my list of a feud and a, give them a eight-week feud. There's so much history to go into there. And we've said it before, at some point they have to run back Punk Joe Danielson as a triple threat. I think that has to be run back in because if you aren't aware of that in Ring of Honor, then go and find it because it's just some of the best wrestling you'll see. And to think that 20 odd, 15, 20 years later, we could get that again on the world stage is just, it's incredible. I just want to reiterate how much has changed for AEW in one year, one calendar year, because last year's Double or Nothing, you may well remember, was in front of about 6,000 fans at Daly's Place, which was the first show with a full crowd since the pandemic began. And that was main evented uh, by a stadium stampede match. We had Kenny Omega as champion defeating Orange Cassidy and Pac. Darby Allen and Sting were in action. We didn't have CM Punk, Samoa Joe, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole. They were not even part of the AEW ether. And as I was thinking this morning, you know, how big a show this is for them. I was just thinking about how big a change there's been for Tony Khan's company. It is night and day. It's genuinely unrecognisable from what it was 12, uh, 12 years ago. Genuinely 12 years ago, <laughs> it really is. Uh, 12 months ago. Uh, it really, really is. And it's interesting because you hear a lot. It's all positive. Some of the, some of the names that have come in are incredible. And you can't, let, you can't let these people go begging. You've got to take them into your company. But it is quite a swollen roster. And I think we are, are going to have to see from a business point of view, but also just from a product point of view, people leaving the AEW roster at the bottom end of it because they just can't keep this many people on because let's not forget, we say it a lot, there's still the likes of Gargano and Cesaro out there somewhere who you'd, you'd be surprised they didn't end up in AEW. So yeah, it, it's tough, but as they get the bigger names and 
they also create their own names, like of MJF, Wardlow, these people, as they become main event players, the, the bottom end, the, the lower end of the roster has, has to go somewhere and it's probably down. So here's a question, and this wasn't what I was planning on asking, but I will. Is AEW a better product 12 months on as a result of all those acquisitions than it was this time last year at Double or Nothing. Now, we have to put that Double or Nothing in a very special bracket because the fans were back for the first time in really more than a year. That was special because of the environment. With all the acquisitions, is AEW a better product now than it was then? The only way I can answer that is by saying... I watch AW a lot more. I can't miss it now when I maybe could have 12 months ago. But that could generally be because of, you look at the wrestlers they picked up in the last 12 months, a lot of them are my my favourite wrestlers, like so Danielson, Cole, Regal, the, um, the likes of um, Alistair Black, these people moving across. They're, they're my wrestlers. They're, they're the guys I enjoy watching. So it's tough for me to say because I'm probably a lot more invested in it now. But but from my point of view, yes, because I, I, I have to watch it when probably 12 months ago, I, I'd pick and choose when I watched it. Let's talk about the match, which for me is, is the one I'm probably most excited about because I don't think they've put a foot wrong, although it has followed the usual MJF playbook of lay down challenges, watch them get knocked down. Wardlow and MJF, I thought the steel cage match on Dynamite to open the show was, was again, not enough superlatives to describe this. I think it's been fantastic. I will say I, like many others, will have been uncomfortable with the unprotected steel chair shot to the head of MJF. Whether that chair is gimmicked or not, I don't like seeing that in 2022. If you isolate that out, I thought that whole angle was brilliant and Wardlow, wherever he goes, is over. Yeah, I, I was about to say that as well. Like, I, I, you don't know the chair's gimmick, you don't know all these things, but I, I've had concussions. I'm, I'm very aware of the uh, effect concussions have. I've seen friends have to retire from concussion in their mid-20s, and I've seen friends... Uh, the, there's a guy I know who's had to retire, and he still... Um, if he if like, it gets too light, he has to go into a dark room for six hours. Like Concussions are not to be um, messed about with. They're, they're hideous, and they're painful, and they're awful, and they can ruin lives. So I think when, when I see... It's a risk of any contact sport. It is a risk, but when we can mitigate risk by not taking unprotected chair shots to the head, for et cetera, for example, sorry, I feel we should be mitigating that risk. So I, I don't like them. I'm never going to be on board with any any sort of unprotected shot to the head of any weapon. Uh, so I did not enjoy seeing that this morning. That aside, it's perfect, this story, isn't it? It genuinely has been perfect. This has been a build for, what, almost two years since he brought Wardlow in? How, how long How long since he forced into Maybe a touch less than that, but not, not a million miles off. It's had a long, old brew. And he, he started as just, well, you thought nothing of him, probably. Well, that's a big fella. That, that was it. Well, that, that's a big fella. And now he's probably the hottest thing on AEW because he's, I want to see him kill MGF this weekend, by the way. Like, I I just think that has to happen. He had five, 10 minutes maybe of MGF getting away and being smarmy, maybe getting his, getting a bit of upper hand. And then just that classic turning point in the match where I just want MGF to know he's absolutely screwed and then facial feature, and then just kill him. Just kill him for five minutes before you pin him. And I want him to pin him foot on the chest like he did with Spears last night. That's how it has to end. And, and, and the thing is with MJF, you know everything he's going to do. You can, you know he's a special referee in that cage match, and you know he is there just to screw over Wardlow. And yet you cannot help but be entertained. From the Shawn Michaels bicycle shorts tribute as the special ref 
to the where he he didn't even do the slow count to slow count down that first time when he just sort of put his chin on his on his wrist and and just smile. I mean, I just think the guy he is sensational and as good as Wardlow has been in rising to the challenge as we spoke about last week. MJF is just uh, the bee's knees. There are not enough superlatives for that guy. The fact that he yet again is outshining the title picture, unbelievable. Yeah, he he he. If you were going on a main event, he would be on the build. Now, I know they'll have the title as a main event and it'll deliver, but that's the real main event for me of this show. Which is, you can't give any better credit, particularly when the show also has the finals of the Owen Cup. Now, as we say, uh, we know Britt Baker is against either Ruby Soho or Chris Statlander, and we know we're going to be getting Samoa Joe and Adam Cole. Do you see a Britt and Cole power couple both winning the Owens? Is that the obvious way to go here? I could see it, but I think we'll see Ruby Soho win the women's. Oh, okay. I, think, I just think she's done bits since she's come in, but I think she probably just needs something to solidify her firmly in that women's division because she is a big player. She's brilliant, Ruby Soho, obviously former Ruby Riot um, in WWE. I think she just needs something to people, maybe just to, to not take her seriously, but she's arrived in AEW, if you know what I mean. I think... Beating Britt Baker, who is the top star in that women's division, even if she hasn't got the title, she is she's the measuring stick. I think beating Britt in a final of the Owen Cup, I think, is uh, is the way to do that. Um, and I also think Joe will beat Cole because I think Samoa Joe kind of needs that as well. I think he since he's come in, we've seen a bit, but he needs something to really say he's arrived in AEW. Adam Cole came straight in, went straight into the main event, has had his title shot, and he's got his story with the the books on Red Dragon. There's a lot going on for. Adam Cole, Joe kind of needs something, something just to announce his arrival. So I, I actually think it'll be uh, Ruby Soho and uh, Samoa Well, this is rare because I'm going exactly the opposite way, although I completely respect your reasons. Uh, I do wonder as well whether at the end of the Joe Cole match, if Adam... Hey, there he is again. Yeah, Joe Cole, big fan of the pod. Didn't respond... I tried to find him on socials last week to tag him. I don't know if Joe Cole is on the social media. He'd probably probably realise it was coming before he'd best get off socials before it. (laughs) His spider senses were tingling. He knew someone had mentioned him. I think at the end of the Cole-Joe final, to do it that way round, I think we either see Kenny Omega or we see Johnny Gargano, and we see them because uh, we saw Johnny Gargano appear on uh, Sammy Guevara's blog this week, very briefly, which was very, very interesting. Yeah, it would be a time to bring them in, wouldn't it? I, I, I could see that. And yeah, it was, you sent me the screenshot, just him randomly on Guevara's blog. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I could see that. What, what do you think, like a run-in at the end or just a face-off? Or I think some sort of, if, if it's Gargano, I think we get the lights off, here he is, AEW special. If it's Kenny Omega, I think Cole is celebrating and then Omega's music hits and he comes out on the stage and celebrates and applauds. I think we get something like that because AEW does like to, to squeeze a debut into these pay-per-views you know we saw it I think last year with Mark Henry coming out and and joining the broadcast team we saw Regal last time out I think we get some sort of surprise and it doesn't have to be Gargano because you know Omega waiting out there in the ether is is a big is a big card they can play yeah and it is bonkers isn't it that probably one of the biggest wrestlers in the world is on their roster and just not around at the moment um and that that's the story, isn't it? There's a huge story to be told with Omega versus Cole at some point of leading the elite. And I think 
if they get that right, that could very easily run for six to 12 months and just be a fascinating story. It is fascinating. Two more from this stack card I want to talk about, maybe three potentially. Let's talk about the Hardys against the Young Bucks. We're getting the delete against the elite. Love the catchphrase, love yeah. the caption. Slightly surprised we're getting it with only three weeks build, although I guess you could say outside AEW, this is something that has got the build already baked into it. Um, love the promo on Dynamite with the Hardys actually just stripping it back and saying, okay, this is the beginning of the end for us, but we're not done. We're mi- I think there's a middle-aged and extreme, something like that. I, it's going to deliver. It's going to be bonkers, isn't it? They're just going to do some mad stuff. Um, they, they don't do bad matches, these two teams. They had probably the most famous, do you reckon probably the most famous indie uh, rivalry of any tag teams ever? Do you reckon that 20, what was it, 20? It was before the WrestleMania return, wasn't it? At 33. Yeah, 33. Yeah. So what, what, what's that, 2018, I think? Yeah, around that. Around 2017, that. 18. Yeah. Probably the most, yes, yeah, 2017. Probably the most famous tag team run on the indies. Now, that that's a big shout. I don't know my indie tag team wrestling that well. But it was the only one that I can think of that crossed over to the mainstream. Everyone in wrestling was talking about uh, the Hardys and the Young Bucks. Uh, on the indies there, and they, they ran at that uh, rivalry for about six, 12 months, didn't they? So, yeah, run it back, give me it again. I doubt it'll be one and done this because there'll be a ladder match with them at some point. At some point, they'll get some ladders involved, aren't they? That, that's just what they do. Well, I think AEW have got their California debut following Double or Nothing, and given where the Bucks are from, it wouldn't surprise me if they wanted to whack a... In fact, I, I'm going to call it now, I think that the Hardys win, and I think what we get is the Bucks throw out a challenge for a ladder match on that Dynamite that's following. We don't know, but that's what I suspect will happen. There's no stadium stampede this year, but there is what's being called very deliberately in terms of branding, anarchy at the arena. Now, do we think between Regal's crew and Jericho's crew we're actually going to get Stadium Stampede just by any other name. This is sort of my feel about it. I don't know, because Stadium Stampede is obviously pre-recorded, isn't it, at the uh, Jag Stadium. I don't know, because I think, is it just going to be, a, I reckon it'll just be kind of like a street fight all over the arena. Okay. And they're just going to be, like, you know, the classic fighting in the um, in the, in the the uh, the gangway with, like, the uh, the hot dogs vendors, etc. Yeah. You've seen it a million times where they go, I reckon something like that, maybe. I don't know. I don't really know. It's going to be bonkers. I feel Paul Wheeler, Utah, just yep. sidelined. Just, yeah, we've brought you in, but you're not getting a go. In is this he wheeler. not in Japan? Is this not the issue? Is he not in Japan oh, wrestling? Is he, is he at the G1 Climax? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Right. That makes sense then. Okay, but here's that would here's make the sense. thing. Again, a, uh, you look, it is what it is. Chris Jericho walking backstage, sees a stagehand on Dynamite, blows a fireball into his face for no reason at all. And no one's got... That should be a huge thing. That shouldn't be a comedy spot. And Jim Ross sold it a bit and there was a little bit of... That's a really big thing to be doing. I just think someone needs to tap Jericho on the shoulder and just say, Chris, you're sensational. You're Mount Rushmore. Let's just pull this back just a little bit. Yeah, he he's he's a lot at the moment, isn't he? There's every time you see him, there's something big happening. And uh, this is of his reincarnations, which there are so many. This is the one I'm least sold on at the moment. I'm not, I'm not loving the Jericho Appreciation Society, if I'm honest, at the moment. It just hasn't, they haven't got their claws into me and got me too interested yet. I, I, I like what he's doing. I, I, and I think we said when he founded it, we were suddenly more invested in 
all the all the blokes around him than we had been when they were individually. I yeah, I look, it, it's a bit like the Judgment Day stable for WWE. You can see what they're doing, it's from the best possible place. I just think it's not the best story, to to be quite honest. It just isn't the one that's captivating me. On the pre-show is my boy Hook and Dan Housen. Let's give a big shout out to Hook Housen. I think this is going to be um a lot of fun, and I think this is gonna start the night hot. Yeah, I think the crowd will go wild for this. And let's see Dan Housen wrestle. Let's see him actually wrestle. Let's see what, what he can do. Um, I'm excited. I've never seen him wrestle, so I'm excited to see this. And obviously, they've got to get the win with Hook choking out Tony Nese, I think. That's how this has to go. Uh, but yes, I think this will be a lot of fun. And it, it's the perfect way to start the show. It is, is this Hook's pay-per-view debut? It is, yeah, it is Hook's pay-per-view debut as well. So it, it's going to be, although it's on the pre-show, it's a great spot, I think. And look, we, we've picked apart the card. We haven't, we've barely scratched the surface. Here's what I will say. I don't think you get better value for money in wrestling than throwing down your cash for AEW. And I, and I appreciate the times are tight and not everyone can do it. And if you can, though, if you're ready to treat yourself... Get it on Fight TV or wherever you get your pay-per-views from because you will be stuffed to the gills. You may be overfull with good wrestling, but you will get your money's worth. Yeah, this is one of those cards where at the end of it, if any wrestling fan is like, oh, there was nothing I liked, I don't think don't think wrestling's for you. There's going to be something here. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you love professional wrestling as much as we do. And there are three things you can do to keep earning the push, growing and going. First, rate and review us wherever you're listening today. Secondly, subscribe so you never miss an episode. And thirdly, show the love on social media. A word from you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram or TikTok makes a world of difference. We thank you for doing Doing it each and every week and now back to the show let's talk about wwe because a big week for wwe we saw a great tag team title unification match between the usos and rk bro the right team went over in my opinion and riddle is being teed up as the next challenger for roman reigns let's go back to smackdown and that unification match charlie i thought that was pretty paint by the numbers and i mean that as as a great compliment i thought it was fantastic yeah, it was just, we talk about the tag team division in AEW, but as great as that is, and it probably is the best tag team division in the world, this was a brilliant tag team match for a main event. It was just, the stakes were high, the crowd were hot, all four in the ring and a certain someone outside of the ring treated it with the respect it deserves. And suddenly it makes it makes you more invested in tag team wrestling, it makes you more invested in those belts because the wrestlers are taking it so seriously. The Usos... I know how highly rated they are. I think they're underrated still. I think they are up there of the best of their generation in, in any wrestling, in any in any company around the world. I think they're incredible. Riddle is really finding his feet on the main roster now, and I'm so excited. So, yes, it looks like he's going against Roman next to avenge Randy, which is brilliant. Uh, and Orton, is, he's a first-round pick Hall of Famer, isn't he? And when he's on his money, which he is, he's brilliant and... He's, we've said it a million times, he's clearly having the time of his life. That's when you get the best out of Randy Orton. The right team went over, I think you're right. I don't know if it's a work or Randy Jr. does need some time off here. I don't know. I hope he's okay. But I think it's very clever, the story they're telling us out of it on Raw. And yeah, it, I was I was all for it. And what I want to talk about in a minute is, my favourite bit of the bloodline at the moment is Sami Zayn's little role. <sighs> I'm so intrigued in this. Do you want to go on get in on that now then? Because I, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm willing to be won over, so give me your best shot. 
I just think it makes sense. Sammy is this smarmy, sneaky, well, then he can't get to the top. Why would he not be trying to align himself with clearly the top dogs in WWE? And he's so deluded that he's just put himself in there and wrestling in the Bloodline T-shirt and the way he speaks to Heyman to try and speak to Reigns. And I just really, really enjoy it. I, I, could, I could see why people don't. I could see why people like it doesn't make sense. But I've seen it. I've seen it in changing rooms. Of I've seen players who are lower down the pecking order in the squad. I've seen them trying to line themselves with the top dogs in the squad and be there, be there at their beck and call and do their dirty work when they're not even asked to. I've seen this happen in real life in changing rooms, and it it genuinely is very relatable. So and hold on, who, makes, are you Roman Reigns? Are you no, Roman Reigns in this? Who are you in this not. scenario? I'm just, who am I? I'm just in the background, not getting involved. I'm I'm, I'm not making TV. Okay. Uh, I'm doing dark shows. But I'm the, doing dark matches. Poor old Sammy, because you know where this leads to. All yeah, but, it's, but all... no, not poor old Sammy, because he's he's been a snake. He's No, he gets what he deserves from this, Sammy Zane. Oh my God, don't get me in a locker room with you because those poor guys trying to align themselves with the top dogs in Championship Rugby. I mean, you just know at some point they're going to they're gonna beat him down. And maybe that's, yeah. a, that's sort of the catalyst for a Sammy Zayn face turn. Who, who knows? I mean, look, maybe we get to clash at the castle. It's Drew versus Roman. And, and can you imagine the pop for a returning Sammy Zayn for costing Roman a match? I mean, come on yeah. now. Yeah, the, the, I am interested. That's where they go with this of a Sammy costing Roman something like down the line or costing the Usos either deliberately or by accident. I, it'd be interesting, but I, I'm really it's it's just how he's shameless in it, and I just I think it's brilliant. And again, I've got all the time in the world for Sammy Zayn. I'm a big Sammy Zayn fan. I just think like Kevin Owens, whatever they're given, they make it work, and he's making this work for me. Here's my favorite thing about what we saw on SmackDown because we've said a lot, and maybe I've said it more than you. Why should I hate? Roman Reigns and the Bloodline. Why should I? Why should I dislike them? Why should I be angry with them? They're cool. They're great. They've got the girls. They've got the money. They've got the gold. Now I have a reason to hate them. They've taken out RK Bro. They've taken our favorite thing away. So simple, but makes such a difference. Jack, they're out there making kids cry. Yes. Kids are crying in the crowd, and Kevin Dunn in the production office is going, get them on screen. Show me crying kids. There's about four different crying kids on SmackDown, and parents have to console them, not really knowing what to do, because they don't want to tell their poor kids that this is fake, but the kids are bawling their eyes out, and Roman and the Usos are laughing at them. Now, it, I, was, it was elite healing. I am a broadcaster, but I work on the radio side of things. And I wonder if there's a training school they put directors through, because obviously we've just had the last day of the season in the Premier League. And when clubs go down, there is a there is a, a clamour to find crying children in the crowd at Premier League. I mean, it must just be, they must have someone on duty in a WWE production truck, in a, in a football production truck, and find me the kids. Where are they crying? Yeah, it, it was incredible stuff. Crying kids, that's when you know you're doing a good job as a heel. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I really enjoyed that for, for those reasons. And I like that Riddle is being trusted to be the guy. Because this time last year, and we loved it, but we were talking about the return of John Cena, and we were then talking about the return of Brock Lesnar, and that was WWE Summer, and I get that. But it looks like WWE Summer this year is going to be building from within. And we've seen and we've said so much about not having that done. To see Riddle given the mic to open Raw, out you go, show us what you've got. And I think in his own style, 
in the way he is, I thought he rose to the moment. Yeah, I thought it was the best promo we've seen Riddle give. He's never going to be the best promo in the world because of his character and his voice and the way he speaks. But I actually thought it seemed heartfelt, it seemed genuine, and it seemed like he genuinely is coming for Roman Reigns. That that was brilliant. I, I think that Riddle speaks like... Do you know what a cassette... You may be a bit young for this, but when a cassette tape player would run out of battery and it would no, just I go a bit mean, slower. Yeah. Randy... He's yeah. a bro. It's sort of like has got that, oh, he's dying, his cassette tape's dying. Yeah, it is, it's a strange cadence, but it works. I, I'm, I'm, I think it may be chemically enhanced um, at some point, that ah, cadence. Potentially, potentially. Potentially. I mean, I think that's fair comment, given, uh, given that one of their T-shirts was RK Bro says you just got smoked. Yes, I don't think he'd deny it either. No, I think we're on safe ground with that. Hey, this has been unusual. The Naomi and Sasha saga rolls on in WWE. Um... I'm finding it hard to get as het up as some other folks are about Michael Cole and, and Corey Graves and others being told to outline the situation on WWE TV. TV. Um, what's your take on this, on these on-camera statements? For those who haven't been following, just to quickly catch them up, they've been suspended and they've been stripped of the WWE Women's Tag Team title belts. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think I get why WWE are doing it, don't let there be uh, speculation. Just address what's happened. I think the interesting thing is they've not they've not just given facts, especially that Cole one on SmackDown where he said they let everyone down. If you see Pat McAfee's reaction when Cole says that, and you watch him on Monday on his show, he didn't know Cole was about to say that, and he is he's not comfortable sat there with it because these are obviously their friends. I'm guessing they know him, and it just. We spoke last week, didn't we, about if I was in that locker room, I would feel, I would feel let down. It just seems, it seems like WWE having a dig at them, saying, and they've let everyone down. It didn't, it didn't look like the classiest move in the world, but then walking out during Raw isn't the classiest move in the world either, is it? So I've not got too much of an issue with it. I can see why people do, but for me, it's not a huge, huge issue at all, I think. And also, I like being kept in the loop of what's happening. Yeah, I, I look. I, I get there's an argument for you. You wash your dirty linen in public. If you or or you don't do that, rather, look. It's WWE. When have they ever done that? When have they ever said, "Hey, this situation's happened backstage," but um, we don't want to talk about that. Actually, we're not going to make hay out of gonna, it. Of course they are. We're going to walk the higher ground on this one. So, is this teeing up for a release of both women? Or is this teeing up a little bit for, for those whose memories go back to 2005, where you saw Matt Hardy legitimately released but worked back into the storyline pretty quickly? Are they, are they going to take, do you think, a genuine thing that happened and turn it into a storyline? Because let's be honest, when Sasha's music hits, if it ever hits again in WWE, the pop is going to be monumental. It's interesting, isn't it? Because as brutal as it sounds, they could very easily let Naomi go. Sasha is she's a superstar. She is she's top of the top of the mountain. You can't let her go. But you can't let one go and not the other because they've done the exact same thing. I can't see them letting Sasha leave. Therefore, I can't see either of them going. But I could see them doing their classic work and actual real life event into a storyline. I just don't know how it works at the moment. I think there's obviously a lot of unrest in the situation. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be sorted out. So it'd be interesting to see how it develops over the next few days and weeks. But I can't see Sasha Banks being allowed to leave. No, I, I think you can. I think WWE are almost now, and maybe this is where, however they've done it, Sasha and Naomi have shown the power they have. Because, yeah, they've done it. 
I'm sure that there's going to be a hit to their financial pay packets. I'm sure there are contractual stipulations for if you don't do what we ask you to do, here are the repercussions. But I think WWE may just have to get over their anger and say they're too good. They're too good to lose. We, we can't let them go anywhere else. Sets a dangerous precedent, though, doesn't it? Because mm. then any of you top stars, well, I'm not happy. It's, it's very interesting. I will be... I will be fascinated to see how this plays out. Particularly when you've got, and it's a completely different situation, but you've got someone like Roman who can go to Vince McMahon and say, I don't want to do the house shows anymore. And they go, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, Roman could do what he wants in that place at the moment. It is dangerous. It, it is dangerous. And I think that's why it's good what they're doing with Riddle. I think that um, makes sense. Hey, look, um, probably the first misstep from Cody Rhodes. It's going to happen since he returned to WWE. Um, match with The Miz on Monday Night Raw. I like the comment from, I think, Matthew on Botchamania, who says they were on the same page. The problem was they were just reading from different books. It, it, just, it just didn't quite click, perhaps, in the way they'd have wanted to. And that happens. But I'm still excited about that Hell in a Cell match. Yeah, it, it just didn't work, did it? And sometimes it doesn't. And it just, it's strange that two very, very accomplished performers, two of the best at what they do, just didn't work for some reason. And that's fine. That's fine. It happens. It's better this didn't work than the Hell in a Cell match doesn't. I think the Hell in a Cell match will be brilliant. I think they're going to they have a very good Cell match. It'll just be ruined because it's in a red cell. I can't get over it. I hate red cells. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, it, they say it, not everyone can have a great match every single time they step in the ring. And I think it's probably just amplified by how all in on Cody they are, the countdown to Cody, etc. You just expect them to deliver every single time. And this, this week it just didn't. And that's fine. That, that That's fine. It's not like it was a huge, hideous um, mess of a match. It just didn't quite click. And we were talking about earlier how how much has changed for AEW in the space of a year. I don't know who's got control of the creative process on Monday Night Raw, but there was a point where Raw was pretty much unwatchable. I mean, we went through the whole Raw underground nonsense. We went through T-Bar and all of that stuff. And now Raw is, is a pretty decent show. It's pretty enjoyable. Yeah, it, it is. And... and... There was probably in the last 12 months times where you you wouldn't watch Raw. I'd read what happened to talk about it here, but I really wasn't watching it. And now I enjoy on a Monday morning. It's Tuesday morning, sorry. Getting up and watching it. It's something I enjoy. Um, question. Mm. So the New Day are facing, I've forgotten the name of the stable, but Butch, ugh, uh, Ridge Holland and Sheamus, aren't they? And I, I can't remember the name. They'll be called something like the Ruffians or the Vagrants. It's something like or, that. Yeah. I can't remember. They are facing them, I think, at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. I can't remember for sure. And they're teasing a third... Well, they're saying a mystery third person. Big E can't be back yet from a broken neck, surely. I mean, I would, I would think not. I would, I would think not. I know, so I know we why see... Would, why would you build people up for a... I feel like this is, I feel like this is strange. I, I don't get this because I can't believe that Big E would be ready yet because he's, he's broken his neck. That's a long-term injury. So why would you tease a third member of the New Day to come back for a match when everyone is going to want it to be Big E and expect this miraculous recovery, Cena-esque, when he came out of the Rumble in 2008. I just can't see him being ready. I, I hope I'm wrong. It'd be amazing if I am. But what has it been? A month and a half, two months for a broken neck? That that just doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, I'm not medical. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physio. But I just can't see how that would work. So surely we're setting up whoever it is for a fall here. Surely we are. Because everyone wants Big E. It can't be Big E. Doesn't matter who it is, they're not going to get the pop they, they want or deserve. I, I don't understand it. Okay, so if it can't be anyone, let me just throw one name at you and see what you would think about this. What if it was Tyler Bate? 
Yeah. Do you think enough? Pe- I-, I would be excited because Tyler Bates. Do you think enough people would know? No. Do you not? No. People would be like, who's this little white man when I was expecting Big E? I just think they are setting up whoever it is for a fall here. I, I don't think it's clever. No. And, and look, may- maybe the miracles of medical science are such because we it has gone quiet on Big E and understandably, because you hope he's recuperating, recovering, taking care of his health. Maybe he is ready. May- maybe that is what we're going to get. I'm I'm not sure, but I think it's I think it's shaping up to be a really decent pay per view. I am fascinated to see where they go with it, given that what what we see now, it's unlikely to be Riddle against Reigns at the Hell in a Cell or a tag match. Yeah, I was about to say none of the Bloodline are on the card mm. at the moment, which is ten days out. Is wild. Is wild. It it is both wild and and if what you read online is right and look. It sometimes is, it sometimes isn't. We're going to be getting Riddle as a challenger for uh, Roman Reigns at some point, probably Money in the Bank. We're probably looking at Orton against Reigns at SummerSlam and then Drew McIntyre at Clash at the Castle, which means this Cody match we were clamouring for, they're holding off on. So so they've got to find something else for Cody to do that isn't the title picture. He's gone through Seth Rollins. You've got to think that'll be done after a cell match because I'm not sure where you go next. Edge is involved in, who you could have had as a top opponent for Cody, is involved in this Judgment Day shenanigans. Um, AJ Styles is feuding with, with that as well. I mean, it, it, where do you go with Cody after the sell, if not Roman? I, I really, really don't know. Because also, you think, oh, maybe you have a feud for a secondary title and maybe team up with them. Have the US and Intercontinental titles ever felt less prestigious than right now? Who remembers? Who, who holds them, Charlie? I am, I am... I can just about tell you, it's, Aust- it's Theory, not Austin Theory, and Ricochet. They, they, they have... It looks like we're getting Ricochet Gunther, which could be brilliant, by the way. Ooh. On a purely wrestling match, could be brilliant. And are they going to put Gunther... I can't believe I just call him that now. Are they going to put him with the Intercontinental title and make it feel relevant again with him? I don't know. But that could just be 15 minutes of fun, couldn't it? If I'm WWE, I'm looking towards SummerSlam and I'm looking towards Clash at the Castle. And I'm particularly looking towards Clash at the Castle thinking, let's get my European stars hot. And there is no better way to get European stars hot than whacking one title on Gunter and and look, build up one of your European lads, build up a baby face, get, get, get that going now. And you're not doing anything else with those belts, so why wouldn't you bother? You know what they should have done? What's that? They should have not released Cesaro and the match we got six months ago on house shows in the UK, we should have got a Clash of the Castle. Well, he went very quietly. I mean, I... I Could you imagine Cesaro versus Gunther in front of 80,000 in Cardiff? Don't don't tease me with what we can't have. Don't tease me with what we can't have. Now, a couple of quick programming notes. Uh, Charlie and I, respectively, are both going off on our holidays. So the next couple of episodes are going to sound a little bit different. Our next one out the gate is going to be pretty much exclusively double or nothing reaction and then the one after that we're going to record uh, looking at the best gimmick changes of all time the best gimmick changes of all time um we've had some fun putting this one together charlie it because you wouldn't think it can make that much of a difference and yet a gimmick change can save everything for a performer well absolutely it can change everything as we will get into 
in two weeks' time. And by two weeks' time, I mean about half an hour when we record the next episode straight <laughs> after this one. Ah, the magic of podcasting, everyone. So what we're basically doing is we're doing Smackdown Velocity from back in the day or like Smackdown yes. tapings back to back. So no spoilers, nothing will leak online. But a yes. brilliant gimmick change is going to be the, the subject of the podcast in a couple of weeks. And next week, purely because of our recording schedules, will be just about uh, double or nothing, um, which means we're going to miss the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view any any outlandish things you want to, to say now that you are going to predict? Oh, I, I, I'm very interested in the dynamics of a triple threat Hell in a Cell, which yeah. we're now getting, aren't we? With um, Asuka, Bianca and Becky, three brilliant, brilliant, brilliant performers, has the potential to... Te- if, it was, if it was just a triple threat match, I'd be 100% sure it'd be amazing. Have we ever seen a triple threat Hell in a Cell? We've seen six-way Hell in the Cells. We've seen Tornado Tag Hell in the Cells. We've seen Handicap Match Hell in the Cells. If there is a triple threat Hell in a Cell, it's not coming to mind straight away. The only slight concern I have is the first time a match is done, it's never normally great. It normally takes one or two times for people to work out how it works, if you get what I mean. So I hope they aren't hurt by not really under, not really working out how triple threat hell in a cell would work but i think that could be the match tonight if they get that right i think that would be excellent yeah can i just say as well um my predictions for hell in a cell which we will know by the time we go to air in three weeks or so um i'm going to predict that champa joins judgment day and i'm going to predict that cody beats seth with a crossroads on top of the cell that's what i'm gonna say nice i love a bit of top of the cell action <laughs> Why does that sound wrong? Um, it didn't. It didn't to anyone but you. No, I don't think that's true. I think most people will think that sounded a little bit fnaf fnaf. Can I just mention, since we're talking about cages and cells, we should have done this in our AEW segment, the security guard who took the power bomb into the cage wall on AEW Dynamite from Wardlow. Because I have never, if you've not seen it, go and watch it. Wardlow gets his security guard. He power bombs him into the into the wall of the cage, and the guy slides down the cage, then misses the ring apron and just disappears. I mean, it's like he gets sucked into another vortex. It is amazing. It's one of those things that can't have been planned, but it's just gonna be. It's just brilliant. Like Titus O'Neil going under yes. the ring at the Greatest Royal Rumble. It'd be one of them. Just disappears. Just disappears. Here's, here's some here's some cage uh, trivia for you. Not trivia. This is you. And as soon as I say this, you'll all know listening, and you'll know Jack that this is completely true. Every time I put Otto in his crate, I think that I'm locking the cell door behind him for a Hell in a Cell match. <laughs> And I quite often put one of his toys in with it, and I'm like, oh, that'll be a big sell match tonight. <laughs> and then when I let him out in the morning, I'm like, ah, the winner. <laughs> do you slam the gate shut like you're the Undertaker? I did I did once, and it scared him, so I don't do it anymore. <laughs> I felt awful. This poor guy. I mean, they will have planned how that bump should have gone. And I, I, I want to know what's going through his head as he goes into the wall and he thinks this is fine, and then he just slides down and disappears. And they're just there like, oh, I wonder how long I'll have to stay here. Yeah. Oh. I wonder. And how how do you get out? Because for those who don't know the AEW cage, it's tight up against the apron. It's not like the cell where you've got room around the air. I just thought whoever he is, unknown AEW security man, we salute you. Uh, let's do everyone's favourite part of the show then. Uh, poor old lad going into the cage really should be earning the push. But this is where we give something from everyday life the push and we send something back to developmental. Things we want to see more of, things we want to see less of. Uh, Charlie, first or second this week? I'll go first. I'll go first this week. Uh, back to developmental for me is you know in films and TV when 
the husband or wife or the partner will get home late from work and they'll sneak into their bed and the one who's already in bed will roll over like, oh, you're home, love, and give them a kiss or a cuddle. It's all nice. And that's not how it happens in real life. That is not how it happens. Nope. I've been meaning to do this for weeks. I get home quite late, quite often from work, and I will get in and my bare half is in bed. She either does not realise I've got into bed and is completely asleep, or if I do wake her up, stares daggers at me for waking her up. It is not how it works. It's misleading from Hollywood. And I just feel that everyone should be shown a better representation of how actual life works. As someone with a boyfriend who is often on the road and as someone who gets up at unusual times for my job, yeah, that is rubbish. That is, that is, I mean, you could just do a whole show. I know you're watching a lot of 24. Probably you're talking about secret agents coming in after a late day. You could take that all out and just build a show around the narrative tension of different bedtimes and getting up times. And that yes. would be enough. Yes, yes. Uh, so that is my back developmental. My earning the push is far, far more serious, actually, uh, unfortunately. And we don't get political on this show, and I'm not going to get political on it at all. But just earn the push for me is the Golden State Warriors head coach, Steve Kerr. Um, and there's obviously been another hideous, hideous, hideous uh, school shooting in America this week. And his press conference before their game, they had uh, their fourth game of the conference finals, massive game uh, on the same day as it. And he just comes in and says, I'm not talking about basketball, basketball's basketball. And just goes on a two and a half minute, not rant, impassioned speech about gun laws in America um, and sums it up better than anyone I've heard sum it up. And I'm not going to try and quote him, go take two and a half minutes out of your day if you're interested and go and watch it. It's made all the more poignant when you learn that he lost his dad to shooting. His dad was killed at a university shooting. Uh, so it's very, very raw to him, very, very real to him. Uh, and yeah, just a massive respect for Steve Kerr because I think anyone who uses their platform like that for good uh, is always a great thing. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. It's... um. It's incredibly powerful, and it shows that what we're doing here is just nattering on about wrestling, which doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things at all. Uh, mine will sound trite by comparison, but we'll do them anyway. Earning the push for me, the perfect cup of tea at the perfect yes. cup of t- uh, the perfect time. This is what I'm yes, doing: the yes, perfect yes, yes, cup of yes. tea at the perfect time. I have a list in my head of my favourite cups of tea. This is how much I, I all can... right, hit me with your top three. First cup of tea and my favourite ever, coming back from a night out at university in York in 2007. It was raining. I came in, that first cup of tea after a night out, absolute perfection. Second cup of tea, the first one you get back at the studio after doing a long day of commentary. That's a brilliant cup of tea. Had a cracker after you guys beat London Irish um, in the RFU Championship a few years back. So that was a long day. Just any time you make a cup of tea where you go, oh, perfect. Perfect. So I was, I, I'm a very big coffee fan nowadays. People know this about we, me. We, but we I know. Lo- yes, but I love tea. And there's times where only a cup of tea will do. I was raised on tea. In my beaker as a baby, I had tea, which I'm not sure is safe, by the way. I think it, it, it maybe says why. Is that I've got why you're so big? Is this what's going on? It may be why I've got a caffeine addiction and dependency now. But I used to have, like two years old, I have a beaker full of like lukewarm tea and I loved it. Um, yeah, and best cup of tea for me. It's not a single one, but the one that I always enjoy the most is when you come back from abroad and you have your first cup of tea because for some reason, it's not the same. Even if you have the same tea bags, so it's not the same, is it? It's just, oh, here's the big question. What's your tea bag of choice? 
Uh, well, we can't promote on this show, uh, but I love an English breakfast and a good Assam tea. Oh, a lovely Assam my, tea. My favourite is the big... I'm not going to promote, but take this what you want. The biggest county in England, if they were to make a hot drink, that would be my choice. Okay. Well, I, th- I think we know where we are with that. So a perfect cup of tea at the perfect time is earning the push. Back to developmental for me. I'd just like you to settle a debate for me. I've been speaking to one of our listeners and one of my friends, Dan, this week about what you do after you exercise, whether you stretch out or whether you stretch off. Now, mm-hmm. we both... seen this on socials. Right. We both feel that one is right and the other is filthy. But we don't agree on which one is which. Incredible. I I always think you stretch off and the idea of being stretched out is filthy. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. (laughs) And Dan needs to get his head out of the gutter because if he came to me after a game and said, oh, it's a rough game there, Charlie. Let me quickly stretch you out. I think I'd punch him. Right. And I said this to Dan and I said, surely you must hear how that sounds. He goes, no. If you say to someone, oh, I'm just going to go stretch out versus, oh, do you want me to stretch you off? That sounds filthy in its own right. I wouldn't say I'm going to, I wouldn't tell someone else I'm going to stretch him off, but that's just not a sentence that would happen. I, I tell, I tell someone to go and stretch off, hey, go and stretch off. I wouldn't be like, I'm going to stretch you off. That does sound weird. Yeah. But not as, not as weird as I'm going to stretch you out or go and stretch out. No. I'm, no. I'm so glad you're with me because I did put a poll on social media and it did seem to suggest that I was wrong in thinking the idea of stretching someone out sounded ridiculously filthy. And because of my work, I was getting, you know, you were saying I was right, but there are Olympians saying that I was wrong. And I felt like I was I was on my own on this. So we are agreed that stretching out is the worst and the most filthy. Absolutely. And what do Olympians know? What have they ever done? Olympians, they play stupid sports that aren't even sports. Oh, I'm an Olympian. What did you do? Ping pong. Oh, shut up. That's not sport. And here I am cutting a promo on all Olympians, which is brave, isn't it? That's very brave. He's, he's, he's gone full heel on our Olympic heroes, who I'm sure he gave the push to this time last year for yes, the I Summer Games. I yeah. believe I did, yes. Well, hey, AEW's changed in 12 months, so have I. It's, it's a character arc for Charlie Beckett. He's going heel on the Olympians. Uh, right, look, this is our last normal one for a while. Uh, next week, we'll be back with Double or Nothing Reaction pretty much exclusively. The week after that is an episode we'll have recorded in advance all about uh, the best gimmick changes. Very quick one, Charlie, as we wrap this one up. Uh, are we going to see Johnny Gargano arrive at Double or Nothing, or do we get a surprise-free pay-per-view from Tony Khan's promotion? I don't think Gargano turns up. I'm going to say no. Okay, excellent. Well, we shall see. Look, thank you very much for listening. Do join us next week for our Double or Nothing reaction special. Until then, you can be a good fan by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you listen. Tell other people what we do on the podcast is going to be right up their street if they're a wrestling fan. On behalf of Charlie and myself, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.